This series of the For All Mankind podcast is brought to you by the Gardner Family Apothecary. Caring for your sensitive skin with the Elav and Ovel solutions, proudly made in Ireland since 1934. From Ovel Silcox Base to Elav's Sensitive Beauty, their unique formulations provide low irritancy, cruelty-free and sustainable skincare solutions for you, your family and your sensitive skin. You can keep up to date with all of the news, discounts and exclusive offers across Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Gardner Family Apothecary. Visit GardnerFamilyApothecary.com for free next day delivery with purchases over €25. Euro. Hello and welcome to From Unkind the Podcast. Today's guest is a teacher a digital creator in Montessori and respectful parenting, and she's a mum to four boys. It's Gemma Daly. How are you, Gemma? Hi, I'm really good, thank you. How are you? I'm very good. Uh, So you're in a house with four boys. How is that? And your husband, so five. You're absolutely outnumbered. Completely outnumbered, yeah. (laughs) It's fun, actually. I have to say, the last week or so, my husband and I have said, like, they've got to a really fun age where... We don't feel like we have like babies that don't do anything. They're actually all doing stuff now. So yeah, I mean, it's a lot of work, (laughs) but we've actually got to the stage where it actually feels enjoyable at times. So Oscar is, will be four in July. He will be. And then the triplets are a year in April. And like in April, I say in April, we're in April. (laughs) They're nine days away from being a year old. Yeah. Oh gosh. So. Gemma, we're all going to remember 2020 as the year of COVID and I had Peter. So it's kind of a year with with the pandemic, but also the joy of a birth. Your 2020 was exceptional. <laughs> like, how would you describe your year? I have to honestly, like people have asked me this. It's honestly been the best and the worst year of my life. Um, and that is just the weirdest thing to contemplate. Like yeah. I've been on the planet for, I don't even know how old I am, 36, I think. Maybe I'm 37. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I'm 36. Um, and yeah, it's the best and worst year. Like you can't, you can't deny if you've had a baby during the pandemic that it's a brilliant year because you've had your baby. I had three, but I also um, was hospitalized before they were born for five weeks. Um, on bed rest and I had no visitors and I wasn't able to see my son and yeah then I had babies during the pandemic they were in the NICU there was no dads allowed at that point because it was the height of the pandemic so I was the only one allowed in to see them and I was recovering from a c-section and you know all of that stuff Um, and then having to deal with babies with no support around Mm -hmm. and Um, then throw in thyroid cancer in the end of the year Um, amongst everything else it's just like when I look if it wasn't for the babies it obviously would have been the worst year of my life but yeah um, they bought the joy so thank god yeah and they broke up the kind of like when I saw you shared about your cancer diagnosis I was like oh my god on top of you know having Oscar and the triplets and like the, the lack of support, then trying to manage that. Like I, I find like trying to even have time with your thoughts to contemplate anything, whether it's something like 
as basic as what are we going to eat tomorrow? And I was like, how is she, how is she getting the headspace to, you know, take in her diagnosis and, and I don't think I did, to be honest. I, I think, yeah. I think in a few years time when everything is settled, I'll look back and think I didn't, I haven't processed that still, or I haven't dealt with it. Um, yeah. And even just down, even like back to the birth, like I think there's things there that I haven't processed, haven't dealt with. I've just had to hit the ground running and it's do or die, isn't it? You've just got to keep going. Like people say, how do you do it? And it's like, well, if I don't do it, yeah. someone's going to die. <laughs> it's like they're going to be me or all of us, you know, like you just have to keep going. Like it, and it does show you like how much you're capable of. Um, yeah. And how much, you know, people say, oh, oh like I have people in the street that said to me, that's my worst nightmare. <laughs> it's like, thanks. Oh, um, you know, you get comments from people when they're like, oh, you've got triplets and you know, you get nice, nice things people say, but look, there is a few people that have said that's my worst nightmare. And I mean, they're obviously just being honest, but you know, I don't have a choice here. I didn't ask for this. This was the yeah. card I was dealt and, um, you've just got to, you just got to keep going. <laughs> And Jemmy, you were, have, it was spontaneous triplets that you had. Yes. Yeah. A complete shock. Yeah. So we had, we had Oscar, um, in 2017 and then, um, a couple of years later we said we'd try again. We ended up having two miscarriages. Um, and we were living in Dubai at that point in time. And I had, um, my second miscarriage just before we left Dubai to move to Ireland. And then... We obviously did a huge move. We were starting new jobs and things and my cycle just went all over the place and I never got my my cycle back on track. And I had a few tests done. I went to my GP and I was like, look, I've, we're trying to have a baby, but we've had two miscarriages and I don't know what's going on. Like, I can't track anything. I can't work out when I'm ovulating because my cycles are all over the place. And she was like, look, let's just send you for some tests, make sure everything's fine um and she was like really confident she's like you will have another baby and I was like okay you're really confident about this um so I went for all the tests everything came back like you're fine you know there's you're you're ovulating there's no reason why you can't get pregnant it's just your cycles are all off and that could be because of the miscarriages or it could be because yeah. of life stress of you know moving and all of that um it might just take a while to get them back um and then she said, look, you can go to a fertility clinic and they will check your ovaries and everything and make sure everything's clear from the miscarriages and make sure there's nothing blocking the thing. And I was like, mm, you've kind of already told me that there's nothing wrong. Why would I go down that option? And she's like, you know, it just might be peace of mind. So I was like, okay. So we went to um, the fertility clinic to have, now I can't even think of the medical term. Some of your listeners might know. Basically they, they check your fallopian tubes and your ovaries um and check that there's nothing blocking the is it was that like a scan or an actual procedure procedure so it's a procedure under x-ray yes. they it's, yeah it's uh, a lap and die yes it's for the, yeah yeah so they did that they checked that there was nothing blocking the way and this is all like probably over a four or five month period all these tests and stuff um and it was the worst thing ever like i was traumatized by that procedure um and then he said to me he said look um, there's nothing, there's nothing there. There's nothing in the way. There's no reason why you can't get pregnant. He said, the only thing is on paper, you look like the average 40 year old. And I was like, sorry, what? Um, and he was like, basically your egg count is really low. 
um, so you look like you, your reserves aren't there. So you might mm -hmm. be going to possibly go through an early menopause. Um, so you have eggs, but there isn't many left. And he said that you could have a couple of months left. You could have a couple of years left. There's no way of telling kind of thing. Yeah. And then he said to me, oh, I think you should go for IVF. <laughs> and I was like, sorry, you've just told me there's nothing in the way. There's nothing blocking. I am ovulating, um, but I've just got a low egg count. And he was like, correct. Um, so I said, why are you suggesting IVF then? And he said, because you want a baby. And I said, okay, um, leave that with me kind of thing. And yeah. um, it was the same month that I was taking my husband to New York for his 40th. So I was like, I said to my husband, I was like, like, we obviously want a second child, but do like, that seems like overkill, right? If someone's told you there's no problem. Okay. So um, I said to my husband, look, let's, let's just keep trying to the end of the year. This was October. Let's just keep trying. And then maybe next year, if nothing happens, then maybe we'll c consider a different route. So we agreed that would be the thing. And then um, we got back from New York. I had a missed period. I did a pregnancy test and I was pregnant. So I was like, ha ha, <laughs> you know, in your face, like I knew I could do it kind of thing. I don't know whether it was a mental thing, you know, like once somebody tells yeah. you there's no reason why this isn't happening. Um, so I got pregnant. I was so, so, so sick. Um, and I was a bit sick with Oscar, but this was just another level. And then I was terrified because I'd had the two miscarriages and I'd got pregnant yeah. again. I was just terrified. So we ended up going for a private scan at 10 weeks. And yeah, that's when we found out that it wasn't one baby anymore. <laughs> yeah, the shock of our life. What was that like, Gemma? Because you know, we're all, we all kind of go in there, we're all excited to see the baby. And then they're counting like one, two, three eggs in there. No. Well, what yeah. actually happened was, so Oscar was with us. This was pre-COVID. This was 2019, end of 2019. So Oscar was in with us. He was eating a croissant and putting um, crumbs everywhere. I just remember just being stressed that he was, why we gave him a croissant of all things to snack on. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it was crumbs. And so I was kind of distracted with Oscar and she was like putting the gel on and chatting away. And then immediately, like the minute she put it on, up on the screen was like two round heads. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And it, about a week before we went for the scan, I suddenly had like a thought that it wasn't one, that maybe there was more than one. And the only reason that I had that thought was that I felt like I could feel the baby. And this was like when I was nine weeks pregnant. Yeah. So I was like, Gemma, you're an idiot. Like, there's no way you can feel the baby. And I said it to my husband and he was like, they were stupid. And so I didn't mention anything else. And then after that thought, it was kind of creeping in that I was like, maybe it is, maybe, you know, maybe there is more than one. Um, so I wasn't that shocked when the two heads popped up insofar as obviously I was shocked, but I was like, oh, <laughs> like, yeah. I'm right kind of thing. Um, I was like, is that two heads? Is was that two? Is that two? And so I was looking at my husband, looking at her, and she was like, hang on a minute. And she took it straight off. And she was like, let's just like calm down a minute. And she told us later, actually, that there's a thing called mirroring that the Doppler can do, that it can look like there's two, but there's not. So that's why she okay. took it off to like readjust it kind of thing. So I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And my husband was like, oh my God. And so she put it back on and it was very clear then that there was two. So, um, she was like, yeah, just hang on a second. And so we were like, I was just, you know, me and my husband just like smiling, shocked at each other. And then she rolled it down. 
gosh. And she was like, this is three babies. We actually caught that moment on, my husband was filming and then she went, oh, you're not meant to film. But we actually caught the moment that we found out on film. Um, he was just quickly filming it on his phone. So yeah, so because our set of triplets is technically a set of twins and a single, Mm-hmm. So I released two eggs basically, um, and then one split. So the first twins that we saw, they were obviously they were quite clear. And then Hendrix, who's our single, was like sitting underneath. Yeah. So yeah, and it was the first triplets that she'd ever found as well on a scan. So she was a bit like, "Am I seeing the right thing?" <laughs> as well, yeah. she, she wasn't like overly confident in what she was saying either. She was just like, "This is three babies." So yeah, that was the. Yeah, to to have the two miscarriages, to then go through like all the cycle stuff and tests and stuff, to be told, oh, maybe you need IVF, to then going, mm-hmm. no, we'll try on our own, see how it goes, and then to get pregnant with triplets is just mental, really. There's a whole, that's a whole roller coaster of um, emotions and thoughts going on there for you guys. Um, and then between... This was that scan at like 10 weeks and because we were I, so yeah we both got pregnant so in October so or, the, or there's things that's like I know now your dates have been adjusted so I was following your pregnancy along and we were messaging and stuff and you so between the 10 week scan and then being admitted at 27 weeks how was that because physically like I mean I only had one I had Peter and that was my second pregnancy and he was a, like I found that quite a tough pregnancy uh, I was big I was uncomfortable it was just different he just felt heavier and it just took a lot out of me and I say that as a with a singleton um so what was what's a pregnancy with tree like well first of all it's scary that's like the biggest thing now I know like I was scared with Oscar I was constantly worried um but you go in for your so you our first official scan in the hospital um you obviously are immediately seen by we had to be have our normal scans we had a scan with a you know a regular midwife just doing it and then when it was confirmed that it was triplets because we were like oh we've had a private scan and they said it was triplets and they were like well we have to do our own scan (laughs) so they don't believe the private scan so they did their normal scan then it was triplets and then you immediately get referred to the multiples unit and you're seen by a consultant so we had our scan there and then you're brought in with the consultant and you're immediately sat down and told the risks they give you a flow chart um this is the risk um of our type of triplets um and they give you a very hard conversation about um elective um what's the word reduction elective reduction so they say to you if you were to um remove one of the fetuses this is the chance of survival for the other two if you're to remove two this is the chance of survival for the one and you've just been in a scan where you've seen your three babies so this is your 12-week scan where you see your little baby moving around so i'd had that scan she'd said oh yeah there you know there's three they're all moving around da, da, da. and then you go into a consultant's room and sat down and you're set you're given the flow chart of do you want to um terminate one or two or three if you want um of the babies so that was uh, to be honest that was more shocking than finding out we were having triplets because it was like 
That's mad. Yeah, because you're like, what? Do, I don't know. Like, I'm not medical. What, you know, what? I, I've got three babies. What are you telling me? Are you telling me that if I carry the others on, that they're not going to survive? Do, should I get rid of one or two? And then he tells me <laughs> that if you are to decide you want to, because of the rules around um, termination in Ireland, you actually have to yeah. go to London to have it done. Um, so, you know, you're, spe- you're saying to him... So he he's talking to you about this as an option if you were if you wanted it, but you can't actually avail of it in the hospital that you're sitting in. No, no, you'd have okay. to get on a plane and you have to go somewhere else. <laughs> um, and so you're like saying, you know, he obviously can't give his opinion, as and so far as his personal opinion, he can give his medical opinion. So this yeah. is where the flowchart comes in of. I think they had a 66% chance, I think it was, or 67% chance of survival um, for my triplets. The way, so they, uh, the twins were sharing a placenta, but they were in their own amniotic sac. Um, and, okay. then, and then Hendrix had his own placenta. So I had two placentas, but they all had their own amniotic sac, which is good because it means they don't get tangled up. But so we, we kind of left that appointment he's like look I have to sit you down this is something we have to do it's not something I want to do but we it's part of the process you go away and think about it and we you know we left there thinking we've been given three babies we can't we can't yeah no like we're gonna take this as far as we can if something happens along the way then we'll deal with it but you know this is the card we've been dealt and we're not gonna get rid of any of our babies so um, and so then you're just terrified from that point on because you're given these, you know, chance of survival. There's twin to twin transfusion where when they're sharing a placenta, one baby takes more of the nutrients than the other and one can grow bigger and one can grow smaller. So there's all of these risks. But thank God, as far as the pregnancy was hard and so far as carrying three babies, they yeah. were healthy all the way through. We had no problems um, they were all growing steadily. Fluid was good. The only thing, obviously, was that there were three of them and they were squashed. And I was put on um, bed rest, like you said, at 27 weeks. But from um, from my 12-week scan, I was being told, you should be doing nothing. Like, don't do anything. Stop everything you're doing. <laughs> um, and you need to rest as much as possible. But obviously, I had a three-year-old as well. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So it's the physical toll was ridiculous like physically carrying three but then i only carried them to 30 weeks you say you say you say you only carried them to 30 weeks Uh, like only that's a huge achievement to get to 30 weeks and in the middle of a pandemic Gemma, it's and you were totally on your own in that hospital yeah yeah no i know (laughs) like i said i still haven't dealt with it they're here it's fine but yeah no like obviously they, uh, with triplets they try to get you to 34 weeks that's the ultimate because if a baby's born at 34 weeks they um can generally breathe on their own and they can feed on their own as well um so that's like the the golden time if you're going to have a premature baby if you can get them past 34 weeks that's the best time um but then there's like there's goals before that so it's like 24 weeks they're viable 27 weeks is like the next one then it's 30 weeks then it's that so they give you all these like little goal posts to try to get to 
So yeah, 34 weeks is what they were trying to get me to. But I, w- I was saying to my consultant, I was like, there's no way I'm going to get that far. Like I'm so big and no one believed me. <laughs> they were like, you're tiny. You don't look like you're pregnant from the back. You know, the nurses would always say that. And I was like, I am massive. Like there's no way I'm going to get that far. Yeah, I think you can kind of tell yourself, can't you? Your own instinct when it comes to pregnancy. Um, yeah. Like I felt huge repeater, like, and again, it was just one, but I was massive. Like it's, they were just, it was just a different child. So when you talk about your three boys and, and your, your own instinct telling you, um, you're not going to get to the, the markers. So was it an appointment? You were in the hospital, were you? And they put you on bed rest. You didn't get to say kind of goodbye to Oscar when you were admitted on bed rest. I went in, so I went, at that point I was being scanned fortnightly um and I was you know every time I'd go in I'd be like uh you know what's the plan am I going to have a date da, da, da. because at that point I was in um a Facebook group with other triplet mums so that was really helpful to kind of know what the pregnancy you know the flow of it like what happened with people um, and lots of them got put on bed rest whether that be at home or in hospital and um so I was kind of expecting it to come um yeah insofar as they'd say like right now you literally need to do nothing you're staying in bed but I didn't think necessarily that would be in hospital so I went in for my 27 week scan um and this was at the point where um stuff was starting to the COVID stuff was kind of kicking in and you know Oscar wasn't able to come in with our scans anymore and things like that so Jamie's mum was up minding Oscar and we went for our scan everything was fine in that scan and then it was a consultant appointment afterwards and he literally said to us look I'm really worried about the whole COVID side of stuff um we were about to move house as well that week so we were moving from the city out to Kinsale so he was like I'm worried now that you're 30 minutes to 40 minutes away from the hospital um you've obviously got to do a move house move whether you're going to try to do obviously as little as possible for that he said it's still a stress Um, I would feel happier with everything that's going on and things being locked down and everything that you stay in the hospital now. And so we were a bit like, oh, (laughs) right. Because it had come out of nowhere. Every time I'd gone in for an appointment, I'd be like, you know, am I going to be put on bed rest? And they were like, no, you know, everything's fine. Everything's fine. And then this one came and it was like, you're not going home. I'm going to book you a bed now. You're going upstairs. And I was like, now I look back on it and I think I should have said, no, I'm going to go home tonight. Yeah, give me a day to gather myself. I was terrified. Like like I said, with the pregnancy, I was just terrified. And I trusted in them and their opinion. And he was like, I don't want you to go home. So I was like, okay. Now, I regret that decision because a day wouldn't have made any difference. Um, but I do wonder if I had gone home and I had, would it have made it worse for Oscar having to... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know, but... You can't, you can't tell, can you? So yeah, I went upstairs that day. Jamie went home and bought me back in stuff. Um, and then two days later, they stopped visitors. So they'd already stopped children visiting. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, two days later, then that was me locked in. <laughs> and so you got them to your 32 weeks. So you were in, in, on bed rest for kind of three and a bit weeks before they came. And then you went into labor kind of when you start contracting. Yeah. So I woke, so I would, I'd wake up every morning and I'd have an INAHEP injection 
a blood thinner um, every day. And I was, I was being monitored then twice a week, um, a, a full scan, and they would monitor the baby's heartbeats twice a day. Mm-hmm. So I'd have mm-hmm. the three little um, things stuck on my belly twice a day just to check their heartbeats and movements and everything. So that was my morning routine. At six o'clock, I'd be woken up with an injection, and then by about seven, I'd be being monitored. And so I woke up that morning and I, you know, I'd get the same questions, you know, how did you sleep? And it was always, I didn't. (laughs) And it was like two days before that I'd phoned my husband and I was like, I, when I'm sleeping now, I am literally sleeping on Hendrix's head. So Hendrix was our single baby and he was transverse kind of underneath my ribs. Okay. Okay. And the other two were lower down and he, you could see his head out one side of my stomach and his feet out the other side of my stomach. Um, they were that big and the other two were kind of tucked down into my hips whereas he he had no room like he was just jutting out yeah and I yeah. said to my husband like I'm sleeping on him like I can feel it like and that's that can't be right and he was like don't be stupid you know like you're fine like they're in there in fluid and bloody blah, blah so I woke up that morning and I was like you know I'm not sleeping very well like I can feel Hendrix's head here and I don't want to sleep on him and you know every time I sleep on his feet then he kicks and I just don't get any sleep um and they were like okay and I said yeah and I've just been getting like kind of period pains like I think Sebastian's like kicking me down like down there and they were like mm, Gemma you're saying like things that you haven't said before yeah <laughs> I was like yeah. yeah I know but like obviously I'm just going further along they're getting bigger and they were like mm, we're not going to give you any breakfast today and they were obviously monitoring me and I don't know whether they were noticing something as well yeah. Um, yeah. So they, I was like, oh, are you joking? You're not going to give me breakfast because this is the other thing about having a triplet pregnancy. You are starving. <laughs> like, I know in a pregnancy you're starving, but they, they drained everything. I lost so much weight. I had, I was the skinniest I've ever been and not anymore now. I eat a lot of biscuits to get me through the day. <laughs> <laughs> I was so thin and I had gestational diabetes as well. So, so your food was pretty bland. Yes, bland and not very much of it because I was obviously in the hospital and yeah. yeah. So they were like, we're not going to give you breakfast and we're going to send you down um, just to be monitored properly today. So I was like, okay, do I pack up my stuff? Because I'd like moved in there. Like I had my little room, had all my stuff. And they were like, no, 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 you'll be back up this afternoon. They're just going to send you down for monitoring. So I was like, fine, said goodbye to my roommate. Um, got wheeled down and I was down there and I was texting Jamie. I was like, oh, I've been moved downstairs. They're going to monitor today. And he was like, okay. Um, And then like (laughs) looking back at the text messages, it was like, okay, um, I think I might be having the baby today. (laughs) And Jamie's like, what? Um, So they basically noticed that I was starting to contract um, and that's what the period pains were. Yeah. Um, And I was at 30 plus five and they were all you know I could start to sense that they were getting all a bit stressed there was more and more doctors coming in um because you know somebody having triplets requires quite a big team of people um to actually perform the c-section you know the room is filled with people so I was getting the sense that they were getting anxious and that it was going to happen today so I you know I said to Jamie I think it's happening today and um at that point well, still, I think at this point now, um, husbands are only allowed in for the actual C-section. You're not allowed in before and for no. very long after. So I was like, um, they said to me, oh, you haven't had your tour of the neonatal unit, have you? And I said, no, because I've been asking and they keep telling me I'm going to go to 34 weeks. 
and um, I don't feel like that's going to happen. So they said, right, well, you should have had a tour. And I was like, okay, well, that's obviously not going to happen now. So they said, well, we'll get you, um, one of the doctors to come in and talk to you about what to expect. Because obviously it's such a shock when you have a baby. Um, now, for us, we knew our babies were going to go into the neonatal. So I guess in that way, it wasn't such a shock. Um, but when you first walk into the neonatal and you see your baby in an incubator, it's terrifying. Um, so it would have been helpful to have seen that situation. So yeah. anyway, we had the doctor come in and she kind of explained what we would be stepping into and what would happen to the babies after the birth and blah, blah, blah. But luckily they let Jamie come in to, ha to listen to that as well. Um, so he was actually with me for uh, about an hour and a half before the surgery. You'd need that type of support. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And I'm glad, like, I feel like if I'd shouted a bit louder, I could have got more than I did because it was a triplet yeah. pregnancy. Now that I look back and I, I um, think about some of the things that happened and just think I should have had some kind of special arrangement there because I had three babies. Um, so luckily they let him in for that, that conversation so that we were both mentally prepared for what was going to happen. Um, and yeah, then we, um, got prepped basically it was four, uh, around three o'clock I had the surgeon come in and he was like look you're going to have your babies in the next hour because we need to gather a really big team together and we don't want it to go into the night shift because there's not as many people here and so it's now it's going to happen now so I was just like oh my god okay yeah <laughs> like especially after like they told me you know, you know you're going to come back up to the ward this afternoon yeah. like everybody was telling me this is just monitoring and like even up to maybe half an hour before that conversation they were still like you know no no this we're going to try and stop the contractions we can give you this and we can give you that and then it was like okay they're not stopping we need to it was a total flip. Yeah. And then it was like, yeah. we need to inject you with this to prep the baby's lungs and this for the baby's brain, to protect the baby's brains. And and how were you feeling at that point? Like, were you calm or were you like crying or like nervous? I don't, I wasn't crying. I haven't cried a lot, actually. I think it's just like power through. Yeah. And like I say, like, I feel like in a few years time, I might need some therapy. <laughs> um, I think... It, it was just it was just pure shock, I think, because yeah. I didn't know what to expect. And I was putting everything in these people's hands and trusting what they were saying to me. Um, and yeah, it's just hope and belief, isn't it, that it's going to be OK? Yeah. So, yeah. So then you go into this room full, I'm sure, of everyone wearing PPE. And you have your C-section for your three boys. And how long did that go on for? It, um, they were born within, so um, Sebastian came out first, Ashton two minutes later, and then they struggled to get Hendrix out. Like I said, he was right at the top was... and transverse, so they took five minutes to get him out. Um, so within seven minutes, they were all born. That's amazing. And your recovery was kind of started then, I presume, like your recovery and minding tree babies i mean i <laughs> mean well luck so in a way it's lucky you know they went into the neo they were literally yeah. lifted up above the curtain um we didn't get to hold them touch them or anything um so that was hard as, as a birth like yeah. you know to just have them taken away you just literally see them being wheeled off by their little team um and then they were in the neo for uh six weeks 
so like the the process of that is difficult because you know you you have to go in you have to ask somebody to hold your baby you have to you know you're not it's not like the the newborn experience that like I had with my first baby you know yeah you're you're separated by glass to begin with um you're only allowed to put your hands through those little holes and you know touch this tiny tiny thing like for me I entered that well I was wheeled into the neo um in my pajamas on my own and told oh this oh they were like oh this is the triplets mum um and I was like hi and they were like oh this is one of yours that's the other one and that's they could have pointed to any three babies you know like I'd only seen them lifted above a curtain and then I was told that one's yours and that one's yours and that one's yours and these incubators around the room so and I I two weeks after I was in the expressing room in the neo and I was there pumping away my milk and another mum came in and she she was looking really upset and then we kind of got chatting and she had twins and she was like I just feel like I've got no connection with them and I feel like I'm such a bad mum and I was like let me stop you there like I wish somebody had sat me down and said you're not going to have any connection to your babies when they're born and that's okay like it's the weirdest experience because you've birthed them but they were literally just cut out of you and taken away you've then had to just see them through glass covid restrictions meant you know you couldn't be in there all the time you had very strict visiting hours um and even then like it's still not the same like you can't pick up more than one baby you know and then it's like oh i've i've been with this one for five minutes i need to go be with that one and then i need to go be with that one so in the small time that you have to visit them you're sharing your time and she kind of left that conversation she was like thank you like I'm so glad I had this conversation I've just been feeling so awful and I was like but at this point our boys were in special care so they were out of the you know the full incubators and much easier to handle and things like that but I feel like there needs to be more support for parents of multiples because it's such a different experience but you know I like listening to you I'm kind of like how isn't there like, how isn't there someone to bring you up that very first time that kind of stays with you and introduces you to the team to go, hi, guys, this is Gemma and this is her baby, Sebastian Ashton Hendricks, and this is the story. And, you know, there's there's just a bit more. Uh, I know. Um, and, and like, more recently there was that um, thing on the news, wasn't there, about how twins are so um, much more common nowadays yeah um because i guess fertility treatments and i don't i don't actually know what the reason was um but i i actually ended up putting a complaint into the hospital for a couple of reasons um i mean a lot of the care i received was very good and the time i spent on bed rest was amazing and the team there were amazing but the aftercare i found was really lacking and the expectation for um a mum who had one been on bed rest because that wasn't factored in when I was taken back up onto the recovery ward, obviously I was taken up on my own. Um, and they treated me as if I was any other mum who'd had a C-section, which I, I don't I don't necessarily blame the midwives, but there needs to be more communication there because I'd spent I'd spent three weeks to four weeks definitely like in the hospital on bed rest. But before that I was at home doing nothing. I was withered, like I had no muscle tone. Yeah. I wasn't able to get up on my own 
you know, if you spend three weeks literally sat in a bed. You're, you're, the amount of muscle and strength you lose in that period of time. Yeah. So, yeah. Did you have a C-section? No, but like I've, I had I had an injury which result, years ago resulted in bed rest. And like how your muscles deteriorate is is crazy. Yeah. 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 And so after a C-section, uh, the midwife's job is basically is to get you up and get you moving and not let you just sit in bed, which is right obviously for a single pregnancy and you need to keep moving and whatever but i was told you know come on you need to get up you you've got to go down and see your babies you know they're waiting for you and i was i was just i just couldn't i couldn't get up and i was on my own i didn't have a partner there you know i was yeah i was relying on them they were overstretched i was like and i was just this is ridiculous that I'm being, and I would say to them, you know, can you call the porter to take me down? And she would be like, no, I want you to walk down now. You're going to walk down there. And the the first two or three times I arrived in the Neo, I was wheeled down. And even then I had to be taken up within a few minutes because I was, I don't know whether it was shock as well. Um, I was fainting, you know, I had, but you just had massive surgery like aside you know it's and i think you know we've become quite accustomed to ref talking about c-sections as if it's like oh i just pop in and have my c-section and pop back out again and i saw a statistic recently i think that like 33 percent of births in ireland are now by c-section and i think we're, we're kind of almost normalizing it but actually it's it's a huge procedure and it's it's a, like it's surgery like and it's I don't think if, if it was anyone else that had a similar surgery would you have the same expectation that they should be jumping out of the bed and heading like going for laps around the hospital like yeah it's, uh, it's and, and and I mean that's where my complaints came from really that I was yeah. you know no one and and I had a meeting in the end because they they did take it very seriously and I ended up having a meeting with kind of the top dogs at the hospital um, and hopefully it's informed their future practice with parents of, you know, people that have been on bed rest or ha are having multiples, that it's a different pregnancy. It's a different birth. And when you have three babies in the Neo to be told, come on, get up. You've got to, you know, you've got to go down and see your boys. Like it's terrifying. Like I was doing all of that in my own. I was going into that room, not knowing if my babies would be very sick that day yeah. you know the day that I was discharged from the hospital on day four um I've got a picture of Ashton and he is gray and limp in it and the day that I left um they were all working on him he, he was struggling to feed and he wasn't passing any stools and it's only now that I know having had his medical reports and things that he was very sick that day and he almost didn't make it and you know, I had him like that. And then I also had the other two to, uh -huh. you know, get their story of how they were overnight and how was he overnight and has he taken this much feed and is he taking my milk and, you know, what's he on? And and it's just doing it on your own as well. Like I was had the headspace to have it, all that information and then relay it to my husband outside the door. It's just a lot. And yeah. I, COVID didn't help it being a triplet pregnancy didn't help you know having a c-section didn't help all these things made it a very difficult experience and like i said i don't think i've processed it completely but hopefully my complaint means that they will deal with it differently the next time 
yeah and to learn and to evolve with it and I remember seeing you with like a lunchbox you know like a thermos kind of little lunchbox and you were driving from Kinsale to CMH with your milk in to bring back into the hospital and I I was I was I was thinking about you and I was like my god that woman like it's even you know I'm sure that emotion for you of leaving the three boys behind in the hospital was a lot to comprehend and, and have to leave them especially with the, like, at the best of times it's a very difficult thing and I've spoken to you know women um who, who've had that you know with a, with a single and having to do that and the emotion that that brought and the you know for you and then with COVID I think just made everything so much more difficult it did yeah because it was actually um sorry that's Oscar <laughs> Um, it was, it was, um, I think two days before Hendrix. So Hendrix was in the Neo the longest two days before he was discharged. They changed the rules that dads were allowed in as well. Um, not at the same time as mums, but they could alternate. And that would have made a huge difference that if, you know, even just for my recovery, like I was discharged from the hospital on day four after the C-section, but I was having to drive in every single day there and back and sit down in you know a hospital chair to be with my babies for as long as possible to go into the expressing room and pump and you know then come home and do all of that you know my recovery was not great because of it you know I was Mm -hmm. because you know even if I could have taken a day where I was just at home just doing the pumping and my husband could have drove in with the milk and done all the cuddles and things but I just felt like it was such a burden on me and the pressure of you know you've got to be there you've got to bond with your babies there's three of them as well (laughs) like if I'm in there for a couple of hours it's still only you know take out the time spent expressing while I'm in there take out the time talking to the doctors there's not a lot of time just to sit with them and then if they're asleep you don't want to disturb them you know it was just a lot and I and I would come out of there not knowing my babies like it was only until we brought them home and had them 24 7 that we got to know them and they were already you know over a month old by that point so yeah the challenges are just (laughs) but it was it was like listen to you it's like it's a mammoth challenge you know it was all it's it's almost set up for you not to be able to achieve it there were so many obstacles and so many difficulties um Um, one thing I could do was pump and that's and that's how I think mentally I got through it that you know they were great with that and they were great with the support um of expressing my milk and at the beginning I was keeping up with their demand and that felt really good and I'd got in contact with a couple of triplet mums who had breastfed their triplets and there's one lady who lives in Wales and she still breastfeeds her triplets and I think they're just over two now so she's exclusively breastfed them so she was like my holy grail I was like it's possible like I can do this now my (laughs) breastfeeding journey with Oscar wasn't great um but I was like I'm gonna try and you know as much as I possibly can it's the one thing I can give them even if I'm not there I can give them so um but I guess that maybe that was also an extra pressure as well now they did end up having donor milk, which thank God there's women out there that donate I milk know. to neonatals because I wasn't able to keep up with it. But um, yeah, they came out of the neo getting 
um, I think they were on eight feeds a day and seven of them were my breast milk. So amazing. Yeah. And I kept it up till they, so my goal was to keep, keep it up until they were term. So 40 weeks, they were born at 30. So to do it for the 10 weeks. So then I knew at least like all the time that they should have been inside me technically, yeah. <laughs> um, they were getting from me what they should have done. So yeah, I managed it to 40 weeks, but I physically after that, it just wasn't going to happen. And then that day that all three boys and Oscar, yeah, the, the family of, what are you, four plus two, six, are at home. And you're kind of going, okay, this is our new reality. Day one in the Daily House. What, how was that? Like, how do you start? The good thing was, <laughs> day one was just Sebastian. So they released Sebastian first. Um, and then Ashton came out the sec the next day. I think it was a Friday, Sebastian was given the all clear, hearing tests, all that gun, you know, he's feeding on his own, da da da. Um, and then Ashton came out a day later and then Hendrix didn't come out for another week. So we had a gradual <laughs> get used to it. So we just had one baby for one day, then two days with two babies. And then we had the week to kind of manage twins. And then Hendrix came home and we had all three. But to be honest, they were in such a great routine from coming out of the Neo. They'd got them into a four hour feeding routine. Um, okay. And so they would feed. And I think the fact that they had had such a long stay in the Neo, they were used to being fed and being put down. And as sad yeah. as that sounds, that was really useful. They weren't, you know, a newborn baby, a single baby is held a lot. Um, and you can't hold three babies. So they were used to not being held and that helped us massively. So we would, you know, people, we would go out on walks and people would be like, how are you doing it? And we were like, you know, it's not so bad at the moment. And I knew, I knew I was in a bubble that this was a good phase. Like they fed every four hours <laughs> on the dot and they would sleep in between. Yeah. And so it wasn't... I know people are going to go, oh my God, of course it's bad. But it wasn't that bad at the start. Like, they were asleep a lot. It meant I could reconnect with Oscar well and he was not put out too much because there was these big chunks of time, four hours in between each feed, that the babies were all asleep. So, you know, I could spend time with him. So his transition between being an only child to being one of four, which was my biggest headache, was was okay at the beginning now it's not so great now that they're up and doing stuff moving. Uh, yeah that's a bit more of a challenge but the to be honest when they came home it was okay yeah because I, I i don't because with alice i felt the same I, like our biggest worry i was like oh like do you know, we're obsessed with her like she's she's everything and how do we you know i suppose we just felt sad for her in a way that Oh, she's, you know, we're giving her a sibling, which is great, you know, long term. But like, how does she comprehend that? And what is this other person that now gets to demand uh, mom and dad time at a, you know, their beck and call? Um, so, yeah, I can I totally empathize with that feeling of needing to be if you could just like split yourself in multiple. Yeah. It's, and I mean, he's, uh, to be fair to him, he's done really well, considering he's also had, you know, the COVID restrictions on him, yes. where he hasn't been, you know, doing his normal things. Like he's only going back to his nursery after Easter in a week's time, and he's been off since Christmas. So 
you know, he he had a term of kind of a bit of time to himself, which was nice. Like he'd have his mornings with his peers and playing and, and then we'd pick him up and he'd come back to our madhouse. So that was good. Um, but I, it's hard, isn't it? I, you can see why the firstborn child often has a lot of it, like grudges against the yeah. siblings. You can see why, like he had two and a half years, just over two and a half years of like soul attention. And now yeah. he's one of four. I, I do worry that it's, the impact on that is going to have, you know, like, what does that do to your head of, I don't have mum and dad's all attention all the time anymore. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I found at the moment, so Peter, so Alice is three in August. So there's a year between Oscar and Alice, but Peter and your boys now would be quite a similar age. So like, I find that, she's it's, I suppose it's only really showing now that he's moving and he's crawling and she's kind of we're a couple of weeks into uh, toilet training and she's definitely using the potty as a way of getting she's copped that she shouts potty I need to go to the potty that we drop and we run with her so she's kind of used that as definitely a tool to go, okay, so this is how I get their undivided attention. And that's interesting that you say that because Oscar started having loads of accidents. Yeah, um, And he'd worked out that if I wet myself, then someone has to come and change me and help me on the, you know. They, yeah. they work it out quick enough, don't they? That They really do. <laughs> how, to get it, yeah. how to get that attention. And like, I, you know, I always have great intentions and I, I know you've shared similar in that. Like if you can give them as in, you know, Alice and Oscar, like a half an hour, 20 minutes to half an hour of one-on-one time earlier in the day and you get that bonding time with them, it kind of fills them up and reassures them for the rest of the day. And I think they can tolerate being, you know, sharing mom and dad and sharing the intention a lot better. Um, and that's, that's the key for us now yeah, is the routine that it's, yeah. you know, this is how it works every day, you know, our routine is the reason why it works. <laughs> that the babies go down for their nap and thank God, because the routine is there, that they do go down fairly easily. And then that's my time with Oscar. Like I, he watches something on the TV while I have a shower so that I actually can shower each day. And then when I've showered, we've still got like 40 minutes to maybe an hour to just do something together without the baby yeah. involved. And it's that that makes the difference to how smoothly the day goes. And if that time doesn't happen, it has a huge impact on what the rest of the day looks like. Yeah, does he end up kind of like hanging out to you, trying to pull you for attention when you're trying to manage? Very quickly it descends into the negative behaviours. Like they yeah. understand that I could do a thousand lovely things, but it doesn't get as much attention as if I go and do one thing that's, you know, not the right thing. And so you can see why children's behaviour deteriorates quite quickly because they realise that's the way you get the biggest reaction. You know, yeah. you know, if I drop a toy on Sebastian's head, I'll get a huge reaction, you know. <laughs> so it, it just and it, it descends, like you can see it, like it's a small thing at the start and then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it just snowballs into the daily's chaos, basically. So, I mean, it's not... It's not a perfect science, you know, even if I spend that 30 minutes with him undivided, 
the day isn't always perfect but for the most part it helps <laughs> yeah yeah and I found especially with lockdown and you know I suppose that the moment the weather has improved but when it was dark and wet and you're kind of somewhat stuck to inside other than going for a walk with her she needed that kind of creative play and to do creative play you have to give them your one-to-one attention if it's paint because I learned that the hard way um I was like yeah yeah do your creative play I'm just gonna I literally it was like at the same table but I decided to start dusting um our dresser and I, I honestly turned my back I couldn't have been more important like 30 seconds and I turned around and her face her arms are covered in paint and I was like oh this is bringing sensory play to a whole new level so I was like look just keep going with it cover yourself in the paint it's fine um Gemma I have three final questions to ask you what now from all that you have learned and been through what would you tell your pregnant self that it's going to be okay that the you know you're going to have huge challenges but it's going to be okay and you're going to be the luckiest mum in the world i said it this morning like i looked down sat in bed exhausted but looked down and all four boys are just playing on the carpet in our bedroom and giggling away to each other i just i'm the luckiest person alive like it's the hardest job but it's so so rewarding and it will be okay don't panic Gemma. <laughs> and what one product could you not live without one product baby gates or what is it baby gates <laughs> <laughs> we've got a lot of baby gates <laughs> just you know safety like with three of them yeah. and like they're moving now we've got a retractable gate in the that cuts off the living room to the kitchen and that's the most genius piece of kit I've ever come across that at night it looks like a normal house but in the day we've got safety yeah <laughs> and just I can just imagine in a few months time when they're all running oh god oh. <laughs> <laughs> and what has been your magic moment oh my god there is so many there are so many magic moments I don't know if I can pinpoint one. Maybe just like this morning, seeing them we sat with Oscar and just laughing with him and seeing the connection building and that I just know they're just going to be the worst of enemies but the best of friends. Like, it was a moment this morning when I was just like, they're actually, like, Oscar was screaming, to be fair, and but they were screaming back at him. But it was communication. Like, there was communication going on there and it just, like was so heartwarming to see them all you know when we when we pined for another baby for a sibling for Oscar you know that's what we wanted just that companionship for him and it is hard on some days when you know you're trying to juggle everything but when you have those moments when it's just like oh my god they're actually we've created friends there mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> like that's amazing and I just hope they they you know they'll forever be like close like that I'm sure they will they will the boys will stick together <laughs> but we'll go live in a house together one day <laughs> Gemma thank you so much for your time and for sharing so much of your own personal experience and your personal knowledge um, 
I it's been an amazing um, conversation to have with you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thanks. Thank you for listening to today's episode of For All Mankind. If you enjoyed it, please rate, review and subscribe. If you would like to send me a message, please email forallmankind at gmail.com or find me on Instagram. And see you in the next episode of the podcast. Gardner Family Apothecary are the official sponsors of For All Mankind podcast. Caring for your sensitive skin with the Elav and Oval solutions, proudly made in Ireland since 1934. From Ovel Silcox Base to Elav's Sensitive Beauty, their unique formulations provide low irritancy, cruelty-free and sustainable skincare solutions for you, your family and your sensitive skin. You can keep up to date with all of their news, discounts and exclusive offers across Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Gardner Family Apothecary. Visit GardnerFamilyApothecary.com for free next day delivery with purchases over €25. Euro.